Hi, this is Dr. Lat Manso, your host on Health Via Modern Nutrition Podcast. And today we have Kevin Kreider here, and he is a speaker, actor, model, founder, and CEO of Sons. And we are very happy to have you here today, Kevin. Thanks. I didn't know you were a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, not. I've got a PhD, oh, so okay. I, I can't give you drugs. That's that's a good one. That's a good one. I'm actually not a model anymore. You're not what? No, I don't not do modern. modeling anymore. Okay, so yeah. actor, speaker, and founder and CEO of yeah, Sons. There you go. There you Just go. narrowing down my lanes now. We all need some specialization in our yeah, lives. Definitely. Yeah, actually, modeling kind of just naturally just went away. It was weird because, like, you would have thought being on an international hit show, being a model, more people would want want you to model for them, but it didn't do anything. I attribute this to racism, actually. If I, if I was like a white guy, I'm pretty sure I'd be nailing some campaigns. And we can talk all about that. Yeah. Um, and for you guys who don't know, um, Kevin is on Bling Empire uh, on Netflix for three seasons now. And, you know, pretty big, pretty famous. So uh, go check it out if you haven't. Appreciate Appreciate the plug. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, since we are a health via modern nutrition podcast, my first question to you is, is there any current fitness, health and fitness sort of obsession that you are, you know, obsessed with these days? Yeah, I'm actually, so I started off with personal training, fitness, natural bodybuilding career back in 2006, actually. Uh, I graduated with an exercise science degree, got all of the fancy certifications, got all the health nutrition certifications. Then obviously YouTube and all that stuff came out and I realized like, oh my God, like what am I spending all this money for education for when it's right here? And there's all these people you have access to. So I didn't, and also too, I kind of gave up on trying to get people six packs because there's only so many ways I could say, hey man, like just eat good and move a little bit, right? And make some time for it. It's like there's only so many tricks that you could do. And I was just like, I, I just felt unfulfilled. Like only helping one person at a time doesn't feel as fulfilling, even though I know not as scalable, right? It's not as scale, and I know the right thing and self, uh, not even righteous. That's the wrong word. I feel like the altruistic thing to say is, well, as long as I help one person, then maybe my life path and career could be worth it. But I think that's bullshit. We've all helped one person in our life already, so I think that's just I don't know the right thing to say but for me health and fitness i was like this isn't meaningful to me so what if i can help somebody lose 100 pounds or get a six pack it's like i want more i want to make more uh change happen and more meaningful because i think when for me like just getting a six pack was while vanity wasn't really about health and wellness and then what happens when you lose a six pack because then you overeat or something your self-esteem is shot so I came into the health and wellness field very long ago, got into the mental health field by being sober for seven years, and then now I'm back into, well, I do need to get my body back into shape because I do want to get back into acting, but I'm not in the shape that I would like to be. So now I find myself finding that like healthy balance, you know, is it the dad bod? Is it the ripped, you know, six pack guy I used to be seven years ago? Like I'm still trying to figure that out. Right. And let's unpack a little bit here. And what you said there was so important about health and fitness and about people like us who are just trying to be healthy. I tell people all the time that our bodies are always primary, will always prioritize survivability. Our bodies are not made to go for aesthetics. Like we just know all these hacks and all these different workouts to make ourselves aesthetically pleasing. Right. But ultimately the body, its priority is going for survivability. That's one. And then the second point I wanted to make is that people associate their value too much onto their bodies, onto their physique. And that's when you said, you know, when people lose their six pack, they lose their value because they attach so much value of their being, of their existence into their bodies. Um, and that's what we talk about on this on this podcast a lot. Uh, first, of, first and foremost is having a good foundation of lifestyle, like diet, nutrition, um, exercise, sleep and all that. But most importantly, mental health as well. And just being proud and happy and worthy just by being without any attribution yeah. to your... Um, 
to your physique, to your career, to how much you make, to how many houses you own. Well, I definitely find my mental health suffers once I start getting into the single digits of body fat. Like around 8%, I start to get really cranky. I don't feel good. I need more sleep. I need more caffeine. I need more everything just to feel mentally healthy. So I do think there is some type of mental health uh, capacity you lose when you start getting extreme in that. Um, that's my that's my body at least. I know some people can probably survive off as six percent, um, but I, I for me it's like once I start getting into nine eight percent, I start to get a little wonky. How how did you? So what did you do to even get to the single digit body fat? You sacrifice a lot. I mean, like, I used to be very, very like strict about everything, and it drove away relationships, friendships girlfriends, loved ones, family, you sacrifice a lot. And you sacrifice, I think, for me in, in the health and wellness field, you only have one lane, you know, and that is bodybuilding, personal training. And even then, I was a shitty personal trainer then. It's like I just didn't really care so much because I was just so hungry all the time <laughs> and trying to forget about hunger. And you work out, you're tired, then you have all these caffeine upper drinks. It's like it was crazy, man. So, like, a lot of people see the finished product, but they don't see what's actually happening underneath the hood. And social media doesn't help. Social media sucks for it. Yeah. I mean, like, social media is such a complicated, confusing algorithm that, I, I got to tell you, isn't even perfect. I mean, I look at algorithms as being very favorable to certain people and unfavorable to many other people, even though before the algorithms, we were doing just fine, actually. We were doing great. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I was doing great with 20,000 followers, you know? It's funny you mentioned about hunger as well, because I literally just finished a 48-hour fast last night. <clears throat> um, just, I thought, you know, I've never done such an extended period of, of, of fast, so I decided to do it. And, and just before we, we started recording, you were telling me about, you know, all these different diets you've done. You've done keto diet, you've done intermittent fasting. Tell us what your experience is with those diets and what sort of benefits, what sort of downfall you've experienced. So I've tried every diet. I mean, I've tried Mediterranean Keto, Atkins, vegan, vegetarian, meat diet, no meat diet, like pescatarian, uh, all-carb diet for a little bit. You could bit. publish a paper on this. Well, I, I mean, I've tried it all because I wanted to have experience in it, which is kind of shocking because a lot of people think that, you know, because I was vegan for three months, people still remember me as being vegan. I'm like, no, I'm not vegan anymore. <coughs> but one thing I found really helpful was intermittent fasting mm -hmm. no matter what i've done like i've tried all those diets i just talked to you about but my base was my foundation was intermittent fasting mm -hmm. so i would fast for at least 16 hours a day sometimes i'd fast 20 hours maybe even 24 hours and just eat once but um, i found that to be the most helpful way for me because i think from for for my style of eating i like to eat a lot at once um, and I don't want to be bothered during the day because I have so much other stuff you got to do, right? And I found it to be not only time-saving, time-saving, convenience, and, and it just made me feel a little bit more energetic because once I had a meal then, it's like, oh, man, I feel a difference. I don't feel as energetic. Yeah. And then I start to zone out and zonk out, and it kind of signals that it's the end of the day now whenever I start to eat a meal. That's the funny thing about intermittent fasting. You get you literally get more time. You get um, <clears throat> you save more money because <laughs> you're eating. You know, well, not necessarily. Depending on how much calories you're, you're you're planning to eat, if you're still planning to consume the same amount of calories you would otherwise, then obviously it's the same well, amount. Yeah, fasting definitely saves you money. <laughs> but I don't know about intermittent fasting. Yeah, fasting, not eating, saves yeah, you yeah. money because you're not eating definitely saves you money. Um. Well, I guess if you fast like for 24 hours, you know, I guess you're like, you save one whole day of yeah. meal. Yeah. I definitely tried keto for a little bit. What changed my life was knowing what keto really was. For instance, I was underneath the um, Atkins diet back then, which is uh -huh. high protein. This Correct. is back in like 2004 when Atkins was um, the only like no carb diet at the time. But and that's the only like fitness right. sort of diet. But then once I switched to a keto, which is mostly fat, I, it like definitely made a lot more sense for me. I was like, oh, this 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 feels better, you know. So I did try keto. 
The only thing I would say for keto why I don't do it so much anymore is because I like carbs. Like I like all these other things. And my whole philosophy now is I'm at an age. I mean, I'm 39. I don't really need to be that ripped or in that weight loss anymore. But I'll still use it, for instance, if like let's say I have a, a movie set or something. I'll go keto for maybe a week just to lose all that extra weight, you know, mm-hmm. pretty fast. And then I'll just add carbs back into my diet. Um, you know, even after this, I have a photo shoot. I didn't go keto or anything. Um, I've definitely been a lot more relaxed on my diet. But the one thing that stays is intermittent fasting all the time. Yeah, I think that intermittent fasting is definitely more doable and more um, consistent yeah. um, compared to keto diet. And, you know, growing up in Malaysia, I can definitely relate. If I'm going back to Malaysia to visit and you ask me to go on a keto diet, that, that ain't going to happen. Yeah, uh, It's not going to happen. Like my mom will not understand that. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, why aren't you touching the rice? Right. Um, and I think for people who just want to get into the ketosis, uh, ketotic state, Intermittent fasting is as viable of, of a way as long as you don't spike your insulin too high um, when you eat, you know, with a high amount of carbs. So tell us a bit more on the subjective feel when you're either intermittent fasting or a keto diet. Do you, because some people, they do feel that subjective difference um, when they are on keto. Well, we call it when your brain is on ketones. So it's yeah, weird. You- it's like I kind of relate to being on a keto diet now as in like sobriety, like being sober. Because, like, when you're sober, you get this, like, spiritual awakening. Uh, when you do the 12 steps, that is. I mean, just not drinking doesn't give you a spiritual awakening or a feeling. It's the 12 steps that really do that. Um, same thing with intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting, you get this elated feeling in the beginning. Um, and it's amazing. It feels great. But the problem that happens is it starts to just become normal. So if you're somebody who's chasing a feeling then yes, you probably won't get that feeling the same way it was again the first month or two that you did it. It just becomes your baseline, your norm. Because your body, body adapts to it. Yeah, everybody gets acclimated to things. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I moved into a new apartment, my dream apartment. I'm acclimated to it. Doesn't mean I don't appreciate it. You know, I have to show appreciation. But same thing with keto diets. Like that, that focus, that laserness focus and that clarity, it just becomes the norm. But then what ends up happening is you start to notice when you don't do it yeah. and that's not the norm then you're like oh my god i don't like feeling like this same thing with meditation meditation's tricky because after you do it for a year consistently you notice when you don't do it then and that's yeah when that, that that's how i compare intermittent fasting that's that's such a great insight because oh let's see okay cool we'll pause that i'll pause that thought yeah Thank you. I'm yeah, good that's, why I want, that's why I want to have my own podcast. I'm good what? Me? He is. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, yeah. too, like thanks. Yeah, it's podcast. like, yeah, you you're great too. Yeah. You know, but Kevin also. But you should be. You're a host of podcasts. Bitch, I better be. The whole team is fucking eyeing me. Like, <laughs> you know, how's podcast doing? How many views do you guys get? Um, I was just presenting some some data this morning, actually. Uh, this morning, uh, as of this morning, we have launched about nine episodes. Today is nine episodes. Uh, first month, we're getting about almost 20K v- uh, listens great. and download. And that's only the podcast. Uh, for clips, we are getting about 100K uh, views. So you guys um, are almost at uh, advertising budget then? Fingers crossed. Almost. Fingers crossed. Yeah, no, that's what we're trying to get to next year with our own. Yeah, no, happy to um, uh, trade notes as well. Yeah. When you're ready to, like, I'm happy to share whatever I learned. So he said, it's like, if you just rent the place, I think it's 100 bucks per hour. Okay. Uh, if you do the whole production, it's about, like, I think I'll, I have to ask him because I was add-on because they, they do, like, publishing and all that stuff as well. Mm-hmm. So you probably cut, have to. Cut exactly, exactly. Yeah, I'd probably outsource that. It's so trust me, it's just easier because otherwise you'll be sitting there, you'll be like, because you the thing is, we are always more critical about ourselves mm-hmm. than other people's work. So when you're editing your own video, you're going to be like sitting there for the whole day yeah. and you're like, I don't like that part. And then you end up having like 20 minutes out of like a, an hour and a half interview. Yeah. So, so overall, especially a person like you who has, who's so used to being on screen, you're going to see yourself. You're like, I don't like how I look, or like blah blah blah, you know, like, yeah. yo. We started. Hey, how's it going? Hey, hey. Where did you 
Yeah. Yeah. I'll come. Okay. So it's very interesting that you talked about, you know, the difference between when you're on intermittent fasting and when you're not, and when you're on meditation, when you're not, and you feel the difference when you're off instead of in the beginning, you will feel the difference when you're on. Mm -hmm. So that talks a lot about our bodies because we are such creatures of ultimate adaptation. And um, a couple of episodes ago, talked to uh, I interviewed Ben Azadi, and I'll be interviewing um, Dr. Mindy Pelt and Dr. Pompa, and they talk a lot about fasting and feasting, and how you know intermittent while intermittent fasting has been really good, and keto diet has been really good to help with metabolic health. Over a long time, when your body starts to adapt to it, you sort of lose that edge, and in order to sort of reset it, all you need to do is introduce something different. And that's that speaks a lot of volume when it comes to microbiome as well. Well, it also kind of makes me wonder too, and you can attest to this, but sometimes you have to get off the diet. Mm -hmm. So you reset the clock and then you go back to it, you might feel something again. It's almost like working out. You can't just work out every single day. Like I remember when I first started weight training and somebody was like, you got to take a week off. After you train, are you crazy? I'm like, what? I'm gonna lose my gains. Like, I'm gonna lose 20 pounds of muscle. I'm not gonna remember how to bench press. And they're like, no, you're gonna, you're gonna be much better, stronger. And it was true. Like when I came back, you know, obviously you don't have that pump as much. Oh, and then the worst was when they told you to get off supplements for a month. I was like, no, I'm not taking. I'm gonna take my creatine until I die, right? And then. You go back to it and your body absorbs it better and it's just so much better for you. I mean, rightfully so. I mean, creatine is one of the most established researched um, supplement that has shown to work, you know, in both men, women, <laughs> in different age groups. And um, I actually did, that, did this myself. I was on creatine for about three years, I think. And then I got off about six months ago and I just recently reintroduced it so much within better, right? the first week. Yeah. It, my strength it literally increased by like 10 percent yeah i mean it kind of goes with life there are seasons where you're feast and famine you know december for entertainment famine nothing you're lucky if you get anything um it's mostly just celebrations and talking about the next year but then you know new year starts it's feast right like you got to take time off and breaks and me being an addictive personality mindset like i hate the slow times I hate the off periods. I hate the rest periods. and But as I'm getting older, I'm realizing like, oh my God, I kind of need it once in a while. You got to stop, relax, and rest. <laughs> got to relax, relax and rest sometime. I still don't know really how to do it yet. My girlfriend teaches me a lot. <laughs> it's always good to have a support system. 100%. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, <laughs> we talked a lot about physical fitness, physical exercise, and just physique in general. And I know you, you touched a bit on your sobriety journey. And I want to you know, really focus on the importance of mental health as well. Um, walk us through your journey uh, through sobriety, like yeah. from beginning till now. So I was constantly always looking for some mental health problems, uh, like solutions. Um, and what I've come across is that sobriety to me ha is mental health, actually. It is. A lot of people think it's just, just stop drinking or stop doing whatever your addictive personality is. But actually... What sobriety and 12 steps is, is it shows you the things that make you want to do that. And then you have a solution to it. Um, so I think there's a lot of benefits to mental health when it comes to 12 step programs, just in general. It doesn't even have to be with alcohol. What's or, the 12 step? Oh my God. Some, I mean, 12 steps is 12 steps, right? Like it's very, it's a very, excuse me, it's a very simple program, but it's really hard to imply because it's spiritual by nature. So a lot of people don't want to do it because, you know, they have their own spirituality like yoga or the universe or nature or tree hugging and nothing against tree hugging. But it's just I just think a lot of times people shy away from that because they find that um, their own spirituality might be the thing for them, which is not what we're saying. You got to be give that up. It's just that you have to find something of your own understanding. Um, and so my trip in spirituality and alcoholism and everything um i think really began when i was really young i don't know if you're really born with it i think it comes from just life experience like i always felt like i was different in the outcast anyway and my thing is i felt 
not like I was Asian because I grew up in a white family. I didn't feel like I was Asian when I drank. It was that one common bonding experience. The way I can relate it to it is like in Philadelphia, if you don't like sports, you can't relate to anybody, you know. But the moment you're an Eagles fan, it doesn't matter what race, what color you are, your gender, your weight, people love you. You've got one thing in common. Alcohol was that one thing in common for me. But it made me feel relaxed where I could think I was being myself. But problem was I can't always be like that. So that's where my addiction came in. Like I always wanted to feel free, freedom, joyous, all that stuff. Focus, right? Like not have this anxiety and discontent that's always happening, right? And I, I, I thought alcohol was my solution. And so then it stopped at one point where I became like the Asian Hulk. That's what people called me. Asian Hulk. Yeah. <clears throat> then, then I moved to New York. My alcoholism got worse. And so did my, um, so did my depression and anxiety. Lost my hair from alopecia areata to stress-induced hair loss. Or at least that's what they think. It's no proven science behind it yet, but it's an autoimmune disease or reaction. Um, and then... Came back to Philly, got a girlfriend, loved her to death, but my alcoholism was in the way. Realized I needed to get sober on December 13, 2015, and never looked back. But, you know, in the meantime, me and my girlfriend broke up at that time. Uh, and then now, uh, almost a year from now, we've been back together. Um, six and a half years later. Thank you. And. That's basically, to me, what sobriety is. It's about second chances in life, whether it's love, career, anything. Because now I look at my life now, and I'm like, holy shit, seven years of sobriety. And look at all the things I've been able to do. You know, I've, before sobriety, I was just winning bodybuilding competitions, and by the way, paying for it. So it's not like it's a real victory. <laughs> and then I would, you know, personal train, day in, day out, I had nothing, you know, and then, I come here, get sober, and I'm like, man, I got to grace the stages of, like, TED Talks and Huffington Post, Netflix, you know, start my own beverage company, get to hang out with people that I've never imagined being with, you know, like, going in, you know, galas for entertainment and acting. I'm like, this is such a wild life now. Um, and so, like, for me, I realized, I mean, it's because of my mental health. I was unemployable, and if I was employable, nobody wanted to work with me again because I was so mentally squirrely. So I just feel like mental health will help a lot of people and whether wherever you are in your life. So even if you're the CEO of a company and doing really well, it can help you get further. I'm actually jealous of those people who have shitty mental health and still can succeed. I mean, can you imagine what you could do if you were mentally healthy? That's a good point. That's a really good point. And it's it's funny that, you know, how life works because you never know what or when opportunities come and knock on your door. It could yeah. come very early in your life. It could come very late and it might need a life-changing experience. But when it comes, you can't even stop it. 100%. I mean, like, I've been blessed with, you know, there's a circles of life, right? Um, you know, family, health, finance, career, romance, um, for some reason, I've always had my health, my family, um, friends. But for some reason, career and finance and romance was always the slowest things for me. But now romance isn't because I got my girlfriend now and, you know, she she is the love of my life. I know that. I mean, I'm 39. I've been through a lot. I, I can I, I know. Um, and she keeps me very grounded and focused and, and, and just she's my life partner. The career and the finance parts have been the slowest for me. But some people, it's the career and finance that's great, but their health shit. They don't really have any friends. They they can't. They have lots of one night stands, and they think that's romance, but that's you know one night stand. Yeah. But there's something empty. So like, people don't have it all at once. It's a slow journey for some people, and for some reason, I don't know why my career and finance has been the last lingering things in my in my recovery my life but you know i was blessed with health i mean that's for sure blessed with my family my i mean we were so close everything so um i think mental health can help you get all of it it's just not going to be all at one time and and i think what's important is also for people to realize that 
at this point in your life, you may not think or may not see yourself somewhere in the future. I mean, nobody knows what the future holds, but when the time comes, you will know. Like I have gone through this myself, like growing up in Malaysia, I was born and bred, you know, when I was 17 years old, I had to go through my sort of national nationwide exam. And then we have to, you know, go to university. And I remember my mentor, who's my cousin, Lachariman told me, you know, I want you to go to Oxford or Cambridge. And I literally said to him, people like me don't go to Oxford or Cambridge. I would be happy if I can just go overseas and go abroad and experience that. And I did. I went to Nottingham University in the UK, did my undergrad in biotechnology. And then at that point, I was like, well, I've been in UK for a while. I want to try a different country. And that was my first time thinking about US. So for my first time coming to US, I did my master's in Columbia University in, in New York because I was like, where in the US? I have no idea anything about US. So I was like, New York seems fun. I literally just Googled best university in New York and I applied. I was lucky to get to get in, you know. And once I got to Columbia, it really changed my mind in, as to, okay, maybe I can now apply to Oxford Maybe I can give myself a chance. And when I got in, when I got accepted into Oxford to do my PhD in physiology, anatomy, and genetics, I was overthrilled. And people thought I always had my life together and planned all of this together. And I can tell you with, you know, 100% certainty that I'm taking one day at a time and I apply and just hope for the best. I, you know, when you apply for a for university, like you don't know if you're going to get in. Like, no one can be that sure. Um, you can be all co as confident yeah. as you, you can, but it's up to, you know, whoever's reading that. It's the same, man plans and God laughs. I mean, I planned to be an actor back in 2008, you know, and didn't didn't realize I'd be a reality TV guy and an entrepreneur now. Now getting back into acting, like, I didn't think it would be now. Um like, I gave up on it probably five years ago, actually. I mean, I remember I was in my studio apartment back in Philadelphia. I just broke up with my girlfriend. Um, didn't know what I was going to do. I wasn't really thrilled commuting back and forth from New York again. I wanted to pursue acting bad. <clears throat> but I was so beaten up from it, from pursuing it for eight years, you know? Like, there was nothing. Like, I lost everything trying to pursue something in, in New York, training my ass off, like being very disciplined about it, going in, booking stuff, then losing my hair, losing the things that I booked because they were like, we don't, we can't hire. We don't want, we want somebody who has hair. <laughs> you came in with hair. We want somebody who has hair. So it's like I lost That's everything, right, yeah. even with my modeling career. Came back and I, you know, I just started to try to figure out what I was going to do. And I remember a friend of mine, and it wasn't in bad intentions, but he told me, he's like, you're not an actor. Your gift is health and fitness, personal training, all that stuff. And I was like, I think that's good because I know how to do it for myself. But I think it's a vehicle to get to where I want. You know, like now we hear in the health and wellness field, it's about performance, right? It's performance, fitness, you know, it's not about the looks. It's about performance, and I'm like, you know, I think you can do both. <laughs> you know, you can look good and perform really well. Yeah. I mean, and so I I, 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 did, I actually, even though that guy was trying to look out for me, it wasn't the right advice. And I believed it because I was like, maybe I am. But that also goes with environment. We lived in Philly. There aren't actors there. And if there are, uh, like extras, you know what I mean? They're not Hollywood actors. That's what I wanted to be. Um mainstream like all that stuff and so i felt like that was me giving up and i did probably lose a few opportunities you know because i wasn't i was refusing to audition i was refusing to do these things it's like no i gotta give up acting i do have to stay focused but that's people telling you what you need to be and you know yourself better like i'm multifaceted like i love acting entertaining I love business. I love sobriety. I love health and fitness. Exactly. I can bring all of that on. You're not one dimensional. <clears throat> there are some people who are. There are some people who are like, nope, I'm a scientist. That's all I can do. But then, you know, you love podcasting. So you can do both. Mm -hmm. I love both. But I thought I could only be one thing. So then back in Philadelphia, I remember wanting to act so bad and I just gave up on it. And then it led me to doing more speaking. Speaking about Asian masculinity 
the the problems of being an Asian actor in Hollywood where white people get to tell you what you want to be. Yeah. Or the stereotypes tell you what you should be. Right. And it's only because we're poorly represented, you know, where the kung fu artists with the accents, the foreigners, the dork, the geek all the time, all the time. There's nothing wrong with that. There's dorks and geeks in every single race. But when that's all you're portrayed as, that's all people believe you to be. I noticed the same fallacy with people who are sober or believe the mental health. All you see in TV or in film is that they got shitty problems. You don't want anything to do with them. But you don't see all the good shit that people are doing. You don't see successes. You only see them relapsing or they're rock bottom and they're intense. And I'm like, this is a poor representation. And so that's why I took from what I learned from, you know, Asian representation and applying it to sobriety and mental health. And it's like, it's a game changer. People are dying for this, you know? Yeah. People want to be represented. There's millions of people, maybe even billions, who are in recovery of some sort that want to be properly represented, don't want to feel ashamed. But yet we feel ashamed because we don't have no good representation about across the board. So that's how I got the opportunity to even be in Bling Empires because I was advocating for proper good representation as an Asian male. I demanded it. And producers found me and that's how it all started. And as an Asian myself, I'm not, I may not be Asian American, but as an Asian myself, definitely appreciate the representation for sure. And this is not the first time I've heard about this as well in terms of misrepresentation or just general lack of. Um, I've got a really good friend, uh, James Liao. Um, he's an actor and he went to Juilliard. You know, you know, you don't just go into Juilliard and, and he, he, he was he's super talented. He's been in many shows, but he was, you know, I knew him back maybe more than a decade ago now. He's in New York and... He talks about the discrimination he has been facing just from casting, from like audition. You, you haven't even made it there yet. It's just, you know, that role that you're given is so narrowed down that is stereotypically Asian that, you know, hey, look, Asia is a very big continent. It's the biggest continent. And we can do way more things than just being the scientist, the doctor, the geek, the kung fu master. Um and this is, you know, just part of who we are. It is. I mean, it's like, I love the inclusivity that we're all doing right now. But, I mean, we speak about it in the Asian community that while we're trying to be inclusive, we're actually being exclusive now. Mm. You know, we're excluding other races. We're excluding even races within the Asian community. And it's not contributing to our growth. That's what I love about mental health and sobriety is that it doesn't know any race and that's what I love about it because it, if you think it has to do with race, you're wrong. And that's where um, I think I have more of a passion to talk about that now because the problem that I have with the Asian community when I speak about it now is, you know, I feel like I'm speaking to the choir, you know. And the ones that really need to hear it, the algorithms on social media won't show it. So it's like, what are you going to do? You You feel unmotivated to want to post anything just knowing that yeah the algorithms don't believe that people want to see it but you know this it's called conditioning learn this from tony robbins there you go when you start showing people something they're conditioned to see it more and you got to show different sides so you know i don't believe what algorithms are perfect at all they're actually imperfect you know they reward the dumbest things you know because that's what it believes people want but that's actually not We're, we're looking so hard I think, and I think you got to give consumers, they're smarter than we think, but we're making them dumber now. So it's like, there's a lot of social responsibility. I think algorithms even need to have, you know? And one, one really interesting thing that you just mentioned is, you know, how we try to be inclusive, but in doing so, we become exclusive. <clears throat> and that is so true for any minority group, for any, any you know, even in LGBT community, in, in you know, different racial groups, when you push one subgroup into, you know, the corner and, and really feel that they do not have any privilege at all, they bounce back harder and they feel that they have to be louder than normal and not really blend in. And that's where it becomes like almost exclusive and you sort of like go into territory of like hating other other groups and, and, and wanting like... Well, I think justice. I think that's the problem with society today is we have the problem of being right fighters. Like we just want to be right. 
we saw this on social media, so we're right and you're wrong because you have a different opposing viewpoint. Instead of being like, why don't we just talk about it? You know, have a little bit of empathy and listen to someone because you might actually learn something. You know, there's something in the big book of, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous that's interesting is that, you know, we have to look for where the religious people were right, you know, because a lot of people who go into recovery, 12-step programs become, are like atheist and agnostic because usually it's religion that fucks them up to begin with. And then they, you know, come back to, you know, the 12 steps and they're like, oh my God, I see the word God all over the place. They think they have resentment towards religion. And they're like, we don't, you can find it for yourself, but you still got to look for where other religions were right because they're not a religion, you know, AA or um, um, Alcoholics Anonymous or 12 step programs. It's not a religion. Um, and so that's where I think where people could learn from 12 steps no, it's like we have our own thing, but we should listen to other people to see where they're right. We we don't claim a monopoly on something, you know, like people get sober in different ways. And empathy is such a powerful thing. Empathy is. And that's why I think the the world lacks is empathy. And and like they say, it's there is some truth, correct information. And I got to tell you, algorithms do not portray correct information. And, and everyone wants to be right. Everybody wants to be right still. Yeah. So that's where the world is that right now? I wish yeah. it could be different. Speaking of the the twelve step program, right? We on this show we've we've spoken quite a few times on relationship to addiction, relationship to food, especially right, the unhealthy relationship to food, the addiction, and how it's not just a behavioral change; it's more of you know mental health. It's more of the association of food to the dopamine spike to the you know real quick satisfaction that you get because you're stressed because you're doing other things that you don't want to do and rather than that doing that you want to eat instead and and also the reward system that we grow up with you know sweets and all that in the 12-step program how did they teach you recognize and also address that sort of relationship with addiction with alcohol so this is my interpretation i feel like if you're that highly addicted to something um, and you're obsessive because that's the obsessive craving. That's the addiction. What we try to do in the 12-step program is to try to get yourself out of yourself. And the way you do it is by being interested in other people and by helping other people. And that gives a reward system in itself. And you probably know this, but I can't remember the studies a long time ago, but the epinephrine or epinephrine, the adrenaline, the uh, other chemicals that make you feel comfortable when you're cuddling with somebody that are longer oxytocin, lasting, oxytocin, yeah, yeah. they last longer, right? And helping people is the same thing. So I think we actually do things in a different way, right? We start helping other people, start focusing and thinking of other people, thinking how we can help other people, service of other people. But I think we actually just live in a start narcissistic selfish world where you don't do that and then that's where the phenomenon of craving comes from you want to eat because you want to feel that way when you help somebody but then when you help somebody you're like don't take an advantage of me you know and you're like damn dude you got nothing to offer actually like that's the trick of the mind right like i mean before i got sober think of this this is how this is but this is normal for most people is, you know, I'm going into a meeting, you know, 12 step recovery meeting. I'm like, man, I can probably help these people out. <laughs> right. Like, but you're going into a recovery program. Yeah. It's actually quite the opposite, but I'm just so used to and trained to only think selfishly, narcissistically that of course I think I'm going to go in there and help people. And what's painful is the ego, the identity of self, letting go of that idea that you aren't that person actually you could be someday that's hard to give up because even tony robbins says changing your identity is one of the hardest things that anybody can ever do but if you change your identity you change your life immediately absolutely and a lot of these negative identities are being built gradually over time yeah. that it sneaks in and you don't even realize for example when you look at yourself in this in the mirror and you don't like yourself you start self-hatred and over time you start hating yourself more and more and that becomes your identity exactly. and that reflects out as to how you behave how you speak how you treat other people and how selfish you 
<laughs> excuse me to how selfish you, you can be and i think a lot of us are so wrapped into the idea of being the superhero and wrapped into the idea of i want to be right and i want to help people but i think it's very important for us to stop for a second step back and really ask ourselves are we helping other people or is this desire of helping other people out of sympathy out of us wanting to to be a superhero or just us wanting to help help people i think i think the last part here is the most important is that to help people just for the sake of helping people just because we know yeah. we are in the power to do so and do it without expectation of a reward so i'll relate it to our 12 step program it doesn't even have to be that big it could just literally be calling your mom it could literally be calling a friend and just talking to them about their day you're helping someone there you right, go. like literally, I think we think it has to be so big. Like, I, I gotta help you. You know, I gotta help you move products. I gotta, you know, what I mean, it's like, no, that's not the help we're talking about. You just gotta be useful and helpful. Be Sometimes a, people just need someone to listen to. It's true. So that's why I say, with like even the eating thing, it's like we're eating our emotions away, literally, and we're trying to change the way we feel. And the way you could easily change the way you feel is by simple actions, like. I'm not in an Overeaters Anonymous program, but I know for alcohol, like if you feel like drinking, you call someone, you know, you ask them about their day, you automatically feel better, you know, and so that's where you change that behavior. So you, you change the pattern of, oh my God, I feel hungry, I want to eat something. Instead of just eating it, then you do this instead, instead of picking up that cake, you pick up the phone and call someone. That's all it is, mm -hmm. right? But there's a saying, like the phone sometimes is the heaviest thing I've ever lifted, and it's true. For some reason, you don't want to make that call because then you get all wrapped up in your head. You're like, what is this person going to think of me? Like, I haven't talked to them for a while. Like, are they even going to pick up? Should I leave a message? Like, all this stuff goes in your head. You're like, just shut up and pick up the phone and keep trying. Like, <laughs> it's not that hard. We live in a first world country. It's not that hard to pick up a phone. But it is at the same time. And so I think for somebody who wants to eat, you just got to be useful. You got to be helpful to other people. Um, it doesn't even mean you have to give them money. You shouldn't, actually. I wouldn't recommend it. It's just have an ear, have some advice, and just be kind. It's it's really interesting what Kevin just mentioned here as well. And, you know, instead of picking up the food, you're picking up the phone. And by doing that action, giving yourself that dopamine hit, giving yourself, relating that action to positive reinforcement instead of you sort of like dissociating yourself from the association of food and dopamine and the food and and the positive reinforcement that's such a powerful thing to do and it sounds so easy but as you said it's not as easy as it sounds it's not because doing nothing is actually easier absolutely i mean and we live in a world god bless i'm us. happy in my comfort zone right and we can do that that's called a first world country you know we, we have the luxury of doing that um, you know, I don't think all these addictions really exist in third world countries, you know, because they're still wrapped up in trying to survive. You know, survival is their first thing. Survival isn't our first thing here. It's more. The survival of more here. And so more is an obsession of the mind and addiction. So we probably live in an addictive I, society. I absolutely agree because growing up in Malaysia, we, I, we learned about anorexia in school. We know what it is. Bulimia, we know what it is. Never experienced it. Never seen anybody in Malaysia when I was growing up because we were like, you know, food is, you know, it's on table. You eat it, right? You, your, your Asian parents, Asian mom, you're like, you're full. No, you're not full. You know, <laughs> let me tell you, you know, you can eat some more. But coming to like developed countries and then I see more and more of these eating disorders, I'm like, wow, this is really first world country problem. Because when you have a an abundance of resource and you have all these problems now. Um, I, I'm a strong believer of happiness being really tight, like just feeling the feeling of happy, uh, of being happy tied to metabolic health. I.e., what do you think of someone who, you know, may not be metabolically, metabolically healthy, but then they say they're happy. What do you think of that? Either way, you're happier. So it's almost like that saying of, What's true? Is there a God or is there a, is, or is there not, right? We'll never know. Or maybe you'll know with happy happiness and science someday. But I know I just feel better when I believe in a higher power. That's the belief in itself. Now, do I actually look different or am I? I don't even give a shit. 
But the thing is, if you believe you're happier and you're metabolically going to be happier, there's no loss. You only win in that. So to me, it's like trying to find out the science behind it. It's kind of useless. If it really works, why not? Hey, there's a lot of ancient practices, like even meditation, mm-hmm. right? It's only recently that science started to show that meditation increased focus, increased you know, recovery, increased just overall endocrine system. But it has been practiced for hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of years. Mm-hmm. So we know that it works. And there are some things that science is still catching up on because we just don't have that technology nor the understanding to, un- to really unpack what those practices bring. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's, it's a powerful thing because, you know, you got to find your rhythm. You got to find what lifestyle that works for you and ultimately do it because you're doing it for yourself. You're not doing it because somebody tells you that this is good for you. You're not, telling, you're not doing it because somebody tells you that you should be this person, but you're doing it for yourself. Yeah, and that's the, that's the iron, iron, eh, irony about all of this that we're talking about. It's like completely selfless. You're doing it because it makes your life better, makes you feel better. So it does go back to yourself, obviously. But why not do something for other people while it makes you feel good and it's better for you at the same time? Whereas it's the opposite um, sometimes in this world is you do stuff to harm people selfishly and it doesn't feel good. So not only are you not leaving the world a better place and other people in a better place, but you feel worse. It just doesn't make sense to me anymore. Yeah. So <laughs> as we are sort of closing in on, on time here, um, any closing remarks you would like to, to share? I know we've talked a lot, you know, and thank you, of course, uh, for sharing your sobriety journey, your fitness, health and fitness journey, your insights that you've learned, all your experience, um, and even like, you know, Netflix. How do you even get on <laughs> Netflix, right? Yeah. I know a lot of people ask me if I audition and stuff, and it's, no, you were... A lot of people get discovered for, for, discover for different reasons. Some mm-hmm. because they have a viral content or whatever. Mine was because I had content that was meaningful to a community that needed help. Um, you know, I Did I, they reach out to you or did you <clears throat> reach out to them? I got reached out a lot when I spoke about um, Asian male beauty and masculinity. And it seems so typical now because, you know, in modern day world, we have so much representation in, in the Asian community now. But I'm talking about five and a half years ago. This is pre-Crazy uh, Rich Asians, and this is pre-Bling Empire, so we didn't have that. So it was very new, and people were like, wow, I can't believe people talk about this. And this is exactly my life. So that's why I really recommend people who want to succeed. Um, there's a saying, right? Attraction, not promotion. I disagree with a little bit. You got to do a little bit of both. You know, like you have to attract and you should promote. But I think attracting the right people is really it. Like I've never gone out and was like, you know, I want to be on this reality show called Bling Empire. Like I didn't even know about it. Nobody knew about it. It wasn't even a concept. So was it was it, was it a concept that was conceived by your group of people or was it yeah. Netflix? Okay. No, it was um it was a concept from the book Crazy Rich Asians. And then one of the producers who I was friends with when I came to LA was developing this and then it became something but i do believe uh the show happened because of the the cast you know we we were a very close group of friends at the time um i came in truthfully just wanting proper good representation of an asian male in a space that needed it so bad i mean i go to emmys for unscripted tv i'm still the only asian guy (laughs) so it's it still needs a lot of work um, you know, you know, we haven't gotten awarded anything. We, you know, you present a couple things cause you feel like you're kind of in this box that they, they're like, well, we need Asians represented, but it's like, why don't you actually just make more of it then? And why don't we celebrate it more? And I'm not even saying about all Asian reality shows anymore. You just need to put more Asians period, which are not, who are not stereotypes. Exactly. So I think that's, you just got to do things that are good for other people. Like when I went on that, TED talk and helping them post video like I knew it was going to be good for me but it helps a shit ton of people too and it helped create this movement and if you can do that it'll help other people and you too will be asked to do a lot of stuff that's the attraction not the promotion part it's just so important for people like Like I didn't reach out to you to be on this right 
Yeah, like I didn't, I didn't ask to be on this. You know, you reached out. It was attraction. Yeah, I did. You know? I did. I, I mean, I watched the show and and you talked about your journey, especially in the last season. And I thought, you know, and and you know, Kevin started Sons here, an alcohol sort of replacement. And I thought it would be an interesting story to share. And of course, um, you know, I I do strive for diversity on our HVMN show. I'm, you know, male, females, yeah, all different races, and also just expertise in the area but also like the personal story i believe that everyone has their own really interesting personal story and your story in particular and a lot of people already know that already on the show but to really get to dive in and ask you personal question around it it's it's so enlightening and the insights you you've shared today um that i can relate to um it has been quite uh, an experience so thank you oh, welcome man so um, for our listeners and our viewers, where can they find you, your company? Um, please, um, your floor yeah. is yours. You can just uh, find me on kevincrider.com on all platforms. And uh, my beverage company, Sans by Tajin Beverage, is on doyousans.com and also social media platforms. We're actually really um, excited to share more in 2023. We literally just launched October 5th. And it's been an explosive start, so we're excited for 2023. Amazing. And by the way, guys, I've tried this and mixed it with Ketone IQ. It actually tastes quite <laughs> decent. It's a good mixer. I, I made everything. I made Kevin try the shot of Ketone <laughs> IQ before this. So, uh, he, you know, he has been on Keto Diet. He knows how that feels. So how do you feel, like, after, you know, taking Ketone IQ? Do you feel any different? I mean, I always feel different after a podcast, especially a good one. So I hope I hope this this It's fits. a good one. Okay, this you know? this... You're not just saying that on camera. No, right? I don't feel tired. Just, <laughs> if it was a bad podcast, I'd feel tired right oh, now. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> well, um, again, thanks for coming in. And it has been a pleasure to, to meet you in person. Yep. Pleasure, man. Thanks. Thank you.